0: Thank you. Thank you, Chris, and thank you, um, David and, and Bill and Kevin back there. He ran, uh, he had to go uh, take a special trip to get a master key for the, the locks on the trailer, and I was not here for that uh, because I was at home um, prepping these slides. And the rest of the things that you've seen up here. So if you've seen any errors or misspellings, then you can blame that on me, okay? Um, Hopefully you won't, but anyway, it does take, um, it's a team effort, though. It's a team effort for all of the things that we do. Um, All right, so here's what I want us to talk about today. We're starting a new series which is actually an old series, a continuation of an old series. So here's a little advertisement for you. Go to our website and click on the link for messages and open that open that uh, media player and then scroll down. Um, oh, scroll back for about a year and you'll find Philippians. Philippians chapter 1, a um, few messages there. Philippians chapter 2, uh, a few more messages there. And then you can catch up. And you can catch up this week, and you check that out because we're going to jump into the middle of this letter of this New Testament letter, um, because um, we've already preached the first half of it uh, last fall. So this is this is a part two, and um, if so, if you're if you're a little bit out of sync, um, that's okay. This message today is going to function somewhat like a summary message. I'm gonna I want to I want us to to, to to back out of the details, we are going to look in at some of the details. We're going to focus in on Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, and that's going to kind of be the pivot point from, from last fall to this fall. But we're also going to zoom out and see a bigger picture. So as we do that, I want to ask you to think about something. Actually, I want you, I want you to play a game with me. Okay, We're going to play a game. It's called "Name That Tune." All right, this will be really easy. Okay, this is going to be very easy. Uh, actually, some of yes, yeah, some of you will still get most of these. All right, name that tune. Da da. Oh, there you go. You got two notes. That wasn't even a tune. It was a motif. Right. Okay, <laughs> so you got that one. Okay, how about this one? Um, Da da, da 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 it's it's from star wars does anyone know like is that what the theme? no no <laughs> well you know those characters are oftentimes on screen when that when that tune is playing but it is from star wars the force theme uh, it is kind of the, the the musical motif of the force and and so heroic moments and moments where people like Luke and and uh, and the rest are are using the force. You know, you're gonna hear that 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 theme, right? Okay, those were kind of um, somber. Let's find a let's find a more joyful theme. Um a, a more joyful theme. How about this one? Dun 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 right? Joyful, heroic, yes we love it. It's exciting. It is it is Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, etc. Okay, yes, we love those. All right, I'm sorry; those are all John Williams, because um, that's apparently those are the only uh, musical themes I remember, and it's probably the only musical themes anybody else remembers too, because he's such a prolific and amazing composer. But there's something about those those themes, and and good music, or or good films, and 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 good music um, have have recurring themes, recurring motifs these these musical ideas that that kind of tie everything together now John Williams didn't invent that he was as a, a well studied composer, and the the idea of motifs, the idea of musical themes has been around since the beginning of composition since music began to be written and and. and like right, written down and um, performed over and over again um, different musical ideas stood for different um, different uh, uh, th- uh, thought ideas or different concepts or different characters and, and you found that in Wagnerian opera don't don't get too deep into into Richard Wagner but if you want to, you can listen to, like, hours and hours and hours of music from him and hear all these themes come back over and over again. And John Williams did that, and he took these themes, and if this musical theme, if that musical theme comes, weaves in and out of the story, it will help to tie this story together. Not just with the characters on the page and the action and the special effects, but the music helps to tie it all together. Well, those themes are important in music. Those themes are important in films. Those themes are important in God's Word. As we're reading God's Word, we come across musical themes. We, we come across motifs as we're reading. Themes throughout the Bible, God's love. God's goodness, His character, right? Um, God's sense of, of, of justice and His rightness. Um, God redeeming uh, us, our sinfulness, our rebellion. These themes, these themes weave throughout the story of the Bible. But there's a theme that emerges more prolifically in, in the book of Philippians, and it's why I've titled our series, The Gospel of Joy. It is the theme of joy. Joy is throughout this letter to the Philippians. Whenever I'm a little bit discouraged, which some, you know sometimes uh, happens more often than I'd like, I, I I can go to the to the letter of Paul to the Philippians, and I can be encouraged because Paul's trying to encourage him, and he loves his his family, his church in Philippi. He loves these people, and he and he's full of joy. And when you realize that there are all kinds of things that are trying to pluck that joy away from Paul and away from the Philippians, um, and, and then Paul gives these antidotes to it, these, these things that produce joy in his life and in their life. To me, it's an encouragement. I need this word. I need this encouragement. So, what I want to do today is I want to take a look at this entire um, letter But we're going to start with the the verse, our our focal verse, chapter 3, verse 1, and then we'll see how this verse sort of anchors the whole whole letter. All right? Here's the verse. It's very short. Finally, my brothers, this is Philippians 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. I'm say, it's, it's such a short verse. It's one verse. I'm going, to, I'm going to say it again to you. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and is safe for you. We're going to look into that a little more closely. But this is the word of the Lord to us today. We'll see. We'll see how how. Um, rejoicing in the Lord is such an important theme for, for Paul and an important theme for the Philippians and not just for them. This is not just about what Paul wrote a long time ago or what the Philippians experienced. This is for us too. It's important for us too. So, things that pluck away the joy, things that maybe steal the joy, things that rob us of joy, these are pluckers. Pluckers versus Producers. There's alliteration there. I think um, J.I. Packer would be happy that I've got the pastoral P's in this message. But those are the two things I want to look at. So we're going to just kind of survey this whole letter and see the difference uh, between pluckers and producers. Number one, pluckers. We're just going to dive in here. We're going to go through this, and I've got reference. Oh, I forgot. I, meant, I needed to state this. Here's our, here's our big idea. Okay, the gospel is the greatest news meant to give glory to Jesus and produce joy in us. Okay, I, I, I'm sorry, I get so excited to get to the pluckers that I skipped over the big idea. Alright, but that's the big idea. The gospel is the greatest news meant to give glory to Jesus and produce joy in us. Alright, but things that, there are things that are trying to pluck away that joy trying to trying to rob us of that joy that the gospel is meant to produce in us all right so that's what we're going to look at here i'm going to give you 7 things that pluck joy away from us okay welcome come on in have a seat we love you it's great to see you guys okay number 1 opposition Number one is opposition, and you can see the references on the screen, but, the, but we, we first see opposition in Paul's letter in chapter 1, verse 15, when, when Paul says that there are people who preach Christ from envy and rivalry. People are preaching Christ because they're envious of Paul. People are preaching Christ and preaching the gospel because, or, or their motivation to preach the gospel is because they see Paul as a rival, a competitor. And he goes on in verse, in verse 17. They, they, pray, they preach Christ or proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. And they're thinking to afflict me, make me suffer because of my imprisonment. Now here I am in prison because of the gospel. They're preaching Christ and trying to inflict on me pain. Say, hey, look at us. We're preaching, the, we're preaching Christ, but we're not suffering. Look at us. Ha-ha, we are better preachers. We're better, better ministers. We're better church planters than you guys, than Paul. Okay, there's opposition there. Opposition comes out later in, in chapter 1, verse 28, when Paul specifically says he doesn't want the Philippians to be frightened by their opponents. He said, they're, they're, the fact that you are standing firm in one spirit is a sign that they're going to be destroyed, but you're going to be saved. That God's going to take care of you because you're standing in unity. Your opponents don't like it. Okay? Then in verse or in chapter 3, he talks about those... He, he has some, the strongest words of, of probably almost... Well, some people argue that these are the strongest words in any letter that Paul wrote. And there might be some debate on that, but... In verse 2 of chapter 3, he says, Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. We'll talk a lot more about those knuckleheads next week, okay? So, so stay tuned for that. But the point was, these were people who were, who were out to distract the Philippians from the gospel. Distract them from the truth. And that was stealing their joy. Joy pluckers, the first one is opposition. How easy it is for us to have our joy plucked away from us because somebody opposes us. You've you've experienced, every one of you have experienced that, right? You've experienced opposition in your work, opposition maybe in your home or in your family, opposition in school. You are trying to... Um, trying to, to, to be right, trying to do right, trying to be obedient to God. You're trying to do what you know God has called you to do, but somebody's opposing you. Somebody, somebody says, I don't like that. I'm going to stop that. There's nothing like opposition to pluck away whatever joy was in our lives. The, um, the, the, the fact that we are celebrating. Um, celebrating and, and praising God for the open doors with, with our, our, um, our city to, to purchase a property and develop it and, to, and to, to receive a waiver, essentially, for all of our parking problems, that's, that's a sign that God is opening up a door for us to, to go there. But we've been here for three and a half years, and that hasn't always been the case. <laughs> we have knocked on doors and we've had people say, no, we're not interested in a church here. No, we don't want you to be here. Um, that kind of thing tends to steal a little joy, rob you of a little joy, make you discouraged. Paul is writing the saying, you've got opposition in your life, but don't let that steal away your joy. Okay, We're going to keep going. Number two, the, the second joy plucker is selfishness. Look back to chapter 2, verses 3 to 4. I don't want to preach this message again because I already preached it last fall. But what is he? what he's saying here in verses 3 to 4, he says, "...do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. In humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests," But also to the interests of others. There's there is something going on, and maybe it was small, because Paul is not outright kicking in doors like he does with some, like, say, the Corinthians, Um, but he is warning them: look, I see something going on here that's not that's not good. If you don't deal with this. This idea of selfishness, this idea of seeking your own will, your own interests, getting, getting your own needs met um, in opposition to what others are doing or what others need. If you don't take care of this, it's going to steal your joy. So, humility. Look out for others' interests, he says. Selfishness, it, it, see, this is what happens. Selfishness claims to have the self's best interest in mind. Selfishness works in our hearts in such a way to say, this is what's best for you. This is what's good for you. But the irony of it is is that it totally robs us of joy because we don't get to experience the humility of working to please others or to please God. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, Um, about this particular passage, this idea. He said, is it not obvious that what makes us all so sensitive to our self-consciousness and our self-esteem, and and it is these things that make us vulnerable to the attacks that are made upon us. The one thing needed is to, chapter 3, verse 1, rejoice in the Lord. And just to forget yourself. You're not working for yourself, you're working for Him. We live in a believe-in-yourself culture. We live in a culture that says your interest, your value, your um, identity can be found in whatever you decide it is. And you need to. Because you got to look out for number one. But that's the very thing that is a joy plucker in our life. It, it robs us of joy. That the fact that we have such a self-centered culture that's we are immersed in a self-centered culture yet people are so are, are as joyless as they've ever been people are 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 needing therapy and medication and all of the, i mean you know certainly good things that god gives us but when you look at the the whole sweep of our culture our families our churches uh, our neighbors and how joyless and discouraged and despondent we are it makes me wonder if you know if maybe we weren't so self-centered maybe that joy would not be plucked away from us it's not the only thing there's more obviously number 3 is concern number 3 is concern the and and Here's, some, here's, the, here's the thing about some of these joy pluckers. Some of these joy pluckers are definitely negative, and we need to just root them right out. Selfishness doesn't have a place there. Opposition, there, well, there's not much we can do about it, but we need to be ready for it. But there's some of these things that are joy pluckers that, uh, that we can't help deal, but deal with it. Um, we just have to have a certain mindset, a certain care about it. And, and this number three is concern. Because here, here, joy um, can be plucked away from us, can be robbed of us um, when we when we experience and when we we have concern for other people. In chapter two, verses twenty six to thirty, Paul is talking about. Um, a, a fellow worker, uh, somebody who worked for him and for the Philippians, Epaphroditus, and Epaphroditus was suffering. He got ill. He almost died. He was trying to serve Paul in the name of the Philippian church and for them. And they were concerned about it, and they were hearing about this, and that caused them to be anxious, and that caused them to be discouraged, and their joy began to wither away. And Paul saying, "Look." Don't be concerned. I mean, I know you are concerned and you are worried about him, but he's okay now and he's coming back to you and he did all of that for the sake of Christ. So even if he would have died for the sake of Christ, hey, don't worry. D- d- chill out. It's going to be okay. That was Epaphroditus. The rest of the letter is, is under, underlying the rest of the letter is the Philippians' concern for Paul. And there he was in prison. And they're, they're kind of freaking out. If Paul, the great apostle, is in prison for, for sharing Jesus, what's going to happen to us? Well, You know, the Spirit's with Paul. And maybe, maybe they were thinking he's got more of God and more of the Spirit and more of more skills and more talent. But, but look what's happening to him. Woe is me. I don't have all of that. So their concern for others, a, a good concern, a right concern, uh, stole away their joy. We have to be careful about that. Now watch out for that. Um, that is something that that is probably one of my greatest joy stealers. Just speak honestly. When I think about our church family and I think about the things that you all have gone through or are going through, when I think about your, your, your spiritual um, growth and your relationship with Jesus, and I, I think about how you're trying to lead your families and, and, and all of the things that are going on, um, my concern for you all tends to produce such anxiety, such, such uh, uh, concern in my life that I have to protect against that. I have to be reminded of God's sovereignty over your lives. and God, God has this. And that I cannot let my concern for the church and its people steal joy from me. Joy that is there in Christ. Well, the next thing I want to show you, uh, the next joy plucker is religion. Here's another one where we have to, we have to take care because I think religion... On one hand has gotten the bad rap because religion what what religion is uh, a broad definition is it's s- essentially the the organized way we worship God or we follow God or we practice what we preach or what we believe and so in in a sense then uh, we could use the term religion like like say many of the re- the reformers or the uh, the Puritans or those who, who preached and, t- and teached, uh, taught in the uh, 16th, 17th century, 18th century, um, religion, in, in a sense, is how we practice our faith in God. And it can be good. But, if we're not careful, those things that we do in the name of Christ, in the name of God, can steal our joy because we can make it about religious effort. It's all about what I do for God. It's all about my personal piety. It's all about how many things I can check off the box. It's about getting approval from others or earning favor from God. So if we're not careful, religion can be just like um, Paul's litany um, between verses 4 and 6 of of chapter 3 when he talks about, hey, I have confidence in the flesh. I have more confidence in the flesh than anybody. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, uh, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. I was doing everything right. But it didn't get me closer to Jesus. It didn't increase my joy. In fact, it plucked it right away from me. So we have to be careful about things like religious effort or looking for approval for the things that we do even when those things may be good. It's almost uh, Oswald Chambers said this. It's always the, the good things that keep us from the best. It's always good things, things. These are really good but when we put them in a place we elevate them above the best. They become worthless. They become refuse. They steal our joy. Number five, joy plucker, disagreement. Chapter 4, verse 2, he entreats, he, 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 he singles out two women in the church in Philippi. He says, hey, I entreat you, I urge you, I, I, I compel you. I ask you very strongly, agree in the Lord. They're having a disagreement. Personal disagreement disagreements, arguments, fights, um, uh, 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 rivalries, those types of things, uh, they steal our joy. How many of you can, can illustrate that with a story from your own life today? Don't raise your hand. Okay. No, you all could. You've all had, you've all had personal disagre- disagreements. Maybe it's between your, you and your spouse, um, between you and your children, or between siblings, or between parents, um, between uh, relatives, friends, co-workers, between your ministry partners, whatever it is, disagreements—they steal our joy faster than faster than just about anything else. Just plucks that right away. Beware of disagreements. What Paul is, urges them to do is seek to agree. Seek to find reconciliation. Seek to find peace in those times. Beware of disagreement. And number six is anxiety. Number uh, Chapter 4, verse 6, he says, Do not be anxious about anything. So, what is he saying? What, in the context of this letter, there are things that the Philippians were anxious about. Their own, their own, their own lives. They were anxious about Paul. They were anxious about um, uh, the ministry that was going on. But Paul opens that up and says, Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, he says, by prayer, supplication, let your request be made known to God. Anxiety <laughs> seals our joy, does it not? Now, anxiety about our disagreements. Anxiety about our, uh, the, the friends and, and relatives and, and family who are suffering and going through hurt. Anxiety about the opposition that we're experiencing. All of these things rob us of joy. Beware of anxiety. There is an antidote to that. There is an antidote. We're going to talk about the joy producers here in a moment. But there is an antidote to that. And Paul wants us to be proactive so that when, when worry hits us, we have an answer for it. We have a response. We have Christ. And the last thing is number seven. The last joy plucker I want to point out to you comes later on in chapter four when Paul talks about his need or not need. He says in verse 11, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content what he's talking about there and what he's, what he's encouraging the Philippians in by his own example is, is to be content in your circumstances and the situation that you're in. Because discontent, the idea, I don't have this. I'm missing out on this. I wish I, I, wish I wasn't in need. I wish I didn't have to have that. Um, those, those, those things, or or other people have this. Or other people are experiencing this. You know, other people are going to Disneyland, but I'm stuck here having a staycation. You know, discontent. And the comparisons that come with that. Man, they steal our joy. There's no joy in being discontent. There's no joy in comparing yourself to other people. Those, those things bring you nothing. Nothing. They steal your joy. They rob it. They pluck it away from you. So all of these joy pluckers are things we need to watch out for. Again, some of them, some of them, there can be, there can be a, a holy, a good way to experience concern for other people. There can be a way in which our work, the, the religious things that we do, can be God-honoring and glorifying to Him. But if we're not careful, those things will pluck away our joy. so when I was thinking about joy pluckers the uh the um the first the first uh first uh thing that came to my mind was was i've got two cherry trees in my backyard right and m- most of you know this i i like I, I talk about my cherry trees. I don't love them as I should, but every once in a while, I want to remind you of my cherry trees um, because they're there and they do produce cherries, and it's and it's a wonderful thing. Um, last year, we had we had oh, we, a few dozen cherries come um, on some of these trees. I'm like, this is great. Next year, next year is going to be awesome. It's going to be great. So the cherries started growing this spring, and we saw the little you know the little little green round you know. Uh, cherries growing and I'm like oh my goodness we're going to have a great harvest it's going to be wonderful but I was like I didn't really think about them I, I didn't really worry about the trees um, uh, I didn't uh, they're, they're still young so they didn't need a lot of pruning so I just cool I just wait for the cherries to ripen it'll be great one day I walked outside thought, I better check my cherries out, cherries out see how they're coming along And there were no cherries. They were all gone. And I went, What happened to my cherries? All my cherries had been plucked. Not by my kids, okay? Not by your kids. (laughs) Birds. The birds came and plucked away my cherries. All of the fruit that I was looking forward to enjoying was gone. Plucked away. My joy. My joy in that I was looking forward to experiencing these wonderful cherries, and maybe, maybe my wife would have baked me a pie with some cherries or something like that. Probably not. Um, maybe, maybe we would have just had fresh cherries to eat and and warn our girls: "You've had too many cherries, danger!" You know, uh, the joy of those types of things, right? Um, taken away from us, plucked away by birds by these things that are trying to steal, rob, prevent us from experiencing joy in something that's good, in something that's right. So now I want to... I looked at that and went, okay, I need to protect that. I need to do something about that next year. So next year, I need to tend my cherry trees, I need to prune them, I need to cultivate the ground. I need to make sure that they're getting the water that they 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 need to get. And then I need to put a net over those trees. And I need to keep the doggone birds from plucking away my joy so that i can I can enjoy the fruit of of that sowing. So, joy producers are an antidote to joy pluckers. And that's where, where Paul goes next, or where I want to go with Paul and serve, go back through and survey this again and see all of these joy producers that, that God has graciously given us to, to bring about joy in our lives. And, and let, me, let me say this about this. These are both preventive and, and antidotal. Okay, does that, does that make sense? We need to begin by making these things, pursuing these things in the Lord as, as things that are, that are preventive care. Things that will prevent the joy pluckers, like the net. The net is going to prevent, prevent the birds from plucking the trees. But then, at the, at the time, right time of the harvest, you also have to respond. You also have to there's a, there's an antidote. There's there's a you've got to reach out and take the fruit and enjoy it as well. You can't leave it on the vine or leave it on the branch to wither away and rot because there's no joy in that either. Okay, so here we go. Seven joy producers. The first one is prayer. Paul begins his letter, praying for, talking about his prayers for the Philippians and how he always remembers them in his prayers with joy, and then. And then he tells them exactly what he's praying for them. He's praying that their love may abound more and more, etc. And then at the end, when he talks about anxiety, he says, hey, look, antidote to this, a preventative measure for anxiety is to pray about all things. Don't let those things take root in your ground. Don't let them pluck away your joy, but, but let prayer produce joy in you. We are not alone in our lives and in our ministry. God is with us. God is present with us as we pray. And as we pray for one another, we're reminded that, um, that, that we are together, that there are other people going through this with us. As you pray for me and I pray for you, we experience joy in that journey together. Another joy producer is generosity. The reason why, one of the main reasons why Paul wrote this letter was to express his gratefulness to the Philippians for being generous. They've been helping him. They've been helping him in his ministry. Right at the beginning in one verse or uh, chapter one, verse five, he talks about their partnership in the gospel. Their partnership in the gospel. That was fellowship, yes. That was sp- you know spiritual unity, yes, rah-rah. We're for you. We're, we, we're with you in spirit, Paul. But it was also practical. It was also dropping offerings in the offering box to go to support this ministry that Paul had. And they were being generous and Paul was ext- filled with joy because of that. In fact, in, in chapter 4, verse 10, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Not just their mental or emotional concern. is That's not all he's talking about. He's talking about the revival of their concern was the fact that they sent him a gift. That they sent him support to help him out. And the rest of chapter 4, is related to his gratefulness for that gift. Here's the thing about generosity. Generosity produces joy in others. When you're generous and you're helping and you're meeting others' needs, that produces joy in them. But it also has the other effect too. It produces joy in you. When you see somebody get their needs met... When you see somebody receive with joy what you give them, it's, it's, that, it's that Christmas morning thing when, when we, we instead of um, diving under the Christmas tree or diving into the stocking or whatever it is that we do to go, which one has my name on it? We go, which one has so-and-so's name on it? And I'm going to get... And here, here's a gift for you. And we watch them open it, Right? And we're we're focused on that because there's a lot of joy in somebody else receiving a gift. And we experience that when we're generous. And Paul is experiencing that. Say, let that produce joy in you. Number three, though, is gospel proclamation. That could also be witnessing. That could also be uh, proclaimed or put a lot of other different ways. But number three, gospel proclamation. Paul talks about that back in verse, or in chapter 1 when he's discussing the concerns or the issues with people preaching Christ from rivalry and others from goodwill. And he's like, look, the most important thing in gospel proclamation, number three, is that, is that Christ is proclaimed. And that's what I rejoice in. That's what I'm happy about. I'm happy that the gospel is going out. I, I'm not so concerned with who has the biggest church or who has the biggest ministry or who has the most likes or who's got you know the biggest social media empire or who's got the TV shows and not. I'm concerned with the gospel going out and if the gospel is going out, then I'm going to rejoice in that because that is the only source of joy. That is the ultimate joy producer. Gospel proclamation. Paul's rejoicing in that. And we ought to, too, as we think about who we are as a church or who we are as individuals, and, and think, well, what's going on in my life? Well, what am I, produ- well, what am I doing? Or, or how, how is our ministry growing? Or how is our missional community growing? And stop comparing ourselves to others and just rejoice in the fact that the gospel is being proclaimed wherever the church is gathered. Now, if the gospel is not being proclaimed, we might want to be concerned about that. But there's an answer for that too. Right? Prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, and number four, faith. Paul talks about in chapter 1, verse 25, he's saying that he's doing what he's doing for their progress and joy in the faith. The faith, And here, faith is uh, that trust in God, number one, that results in salvation, but number two, it's that trust and dependence in God, excuse me, for every day, knowing that He is God, knowing that He is in control, knowing that He is sovereign over our issues. And He is greater than our earthly struggles, and he's greater than any accomplishments that we make. Faith is at the root of joy, and Paul wants their faith to increase, and he wants our faith to increase. Do we trust God in the midst of all that's going on? We've we've been dealing with uh, building. Stuff, you know, can we purchase this building? Is this going to happen? And every, every step of the way, I, I hope you've been hearing that this is about faith. This is about trusting in God. We have to trust Him for every step. It, not, not believe in the goal. That we just have to believe that we're going to get it and we're going to get that building. That's not what I'm talking about, but I'm saying believe in God. When the door is closed in our face... Are we going to walk away from that trusting God and going, my joy has not been shaken because faith is in God is producing joy in me and that cannot run out. That is not based on my circumstances. It is based on God Himself. Number five, unity. He's very concerned about unity. Unity. he talks about it in in chapter 1, actually, when he talks about them standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. But in chapter 2, he gets really down to the nitty-gritty. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And over and over in this letter, there are hints of that, that unity fellowship, what they have together, um, they're, they're, they're being united in purpose, they're being united in their, in their, in their faith and their trust in God, in their doctrine, in their love for one another, those things produce joy. Those are the antidotes to the disagreements that we, we saw in the, the last list. And when we're, when we're disagreeing about things, we should step back and say, well, what do we agree on? We agree in the Lord. We agree in the mission. We agree in the gospel. And let that produce joy in us. Some things are just not worth disagreeing about. I hope as a church we never disagree. I never let our disagreements, I should say, because we probably will, but we'll never let our disagreements take away the joy that is produced by unity. Disagreements over the, 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 the color of the carpet disagreements over the placement of the speakers disagreements over whether the overhead is 10 by 9 or or or, or 4 by 5 or what 10 by 6 or widescreen or you know full screen format or whatever these things are those things we can disagree on but if they're if they're stealing our joy then we just need to kick ourselves in the rear and say what are we united about Christ, love, spirit, purpose. That's what unites us. Let's not let those other things steal our joy. Faithfulness. Number six is faithfulness. It's different than faith. But there's faithfulness, trustworthiness. In other words, are we going to remain true, steadfast to what we believe? Are we going to remain faithful in our personal holiness, and our witness, and our doctrine, and even in the midst of suffering? challenges, difficulties. Are we going to live out our faith in God? If we remain faithful, God produces joy. That produces joy in us that cannot be shaken. And number seven, friendship. One, one, um, one commentator on this on this letter of, to the Philippians wrote his entire commentary based on the, the his analysis that this was a letter of friendship, which was a, a particular type of letter that circulated around the Greco-Roman Empire at that time. And so he sees it as friendship. And Paul's friendship um, is on display throughout this. Is is it not? Here, take take a look at um, chapter 2, verse 28. He says, I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious he's talking about he's talking about the philippians relationship friendship with their servant their friend epaphroditus who has been ministering in their stead helping out paul and he's saying there's going to be joy in that as you as you experience the fellowship of friendship and the rest of the of the letter is full of friendship how many times has Just spending a little time with a friend put a smile on your face, right? Raise your joy quotient a little bit. Just having friends is important. That's why, young people, when, when you kind of have a falling out with a friend, it's so devastating, isn't it? Suddenly that friend unfriends you, right? Or will no longer talk to you walks on the op- opposite side of the hallway or something like that. It's devastating. It, it, destroys, it destroys joy. It plucks it right away from it. But good friends, and especially the kinds of friends, the friendship that's, that's demonstrated in Paul and the Philippians, friendship that's united in joy, Christian friendship, we might say, is so important. It fills us with joy. I, I am filled with joy when I think about my past experiences. Some of the stupid things that I've done and that some of my friends know about. Um, and you know what? I've, I'm filled with joy over that because we have that shared experience. And, and then I, I, the anticipation of renewal of friendship. Have you ever been excited about a reunion? Some of you are probably like, no, I, I'm not excited about it. A reunion. I'm not excited about it because that means I have to talk to people. But, but true friends—friends friends that you anticipate spending time with—there's joy in that, and that's all over this letter. That that stuff produces joy. So obviously, uh, application to us is is be those kinds of friends. Be that kind of friend to people that you know in the past. Reconnect with old friends because maybe that's the very thing that's gonna that's gonna bring them out of the. Of the the, the the despair and and place them on a joyful you know level. So the last thing is not number eight, but it's in a whole category altogether. The ultimate joy producer, Christ. The ultimate joy producer is Christ. What did he say? Finally, my brothers rejoice in the Lord. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And then he says this, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Well, it's no trouble to me to remind you of Christ and who He is. It's no trouble to me, but it's safe for you folks. It's safe for all of us. It makes us secure in our relationship with Christ and in our joy. He is our ultimate joy producer. He is our source of grace and peace. He is completing the saving work of the gospel in each and every one of us. He is the source of our affection for one another. He will return for His church. He is the source of of our righteousness. He is the reason that we suffer well. He is the message of the good news we proclaim. He is present with us by His Spirit. He is our glory in life and our hope in death. He is the source of our encouragement. He humbled Himself dying for us He is exalted as our glorious eternal King. He is our greatest, highest, best interest in life. He is the work God created us for. He is our joy, our ultimate goal in the pursuit of knowledge. He is our ultimate gain, uh, ultimate uh, reward, if you will, in life and death. He has made us His own. He is transforming us and will transform us in eternity. He is the power that guards our hearts and minds. He is the source of our strength. He is the source of all of God's glorious riches. That is Christ. He is our ultimate goal. He is our ultimate joy producer. So when When Paul says rejoice in the Lord, he means it. He means us to to fix our minds on these things. And it's no trouble to repeat them. To say the same things over and over. To point us to Christ over and over. To let the gospel of who God is, who Christ is for us, what He has done, let that be for us our joy ultimately and forever. These are not troublesome things. These are, the, these are the things that keep us secure in Him. The gospel is truly the greatest news. It's meant to give glory to Jesus Christ, to produce joy in us. That's that's what we are about as a church. And, and that's what I'm praying for you. So when, when I think about my concern, I, my concern is that you have joy in the Lord. The, the rest of these things, the rest of these joy producers are really uh, uh, undergirded by Christ Himself. Christ, the ultimate joy producer, the ultimate source of all the pleasure all that we have. If we don't have Him, we don't have anything. We certainly don't have joy. The rest becomes rotten. The rest becomes refuse. Would you look to Jesus with me? Look to Christ with me. Not just over the next few weeks while we're continuing to look at at Philippians, But make that commitment forever. That's what we're about. That's what God has for us to be about as well. Let's pray. Father, thank You for showing us Christ in Your Word. Thank You for giving us joy, for producing all that You, um, all of the joy that we could ever have and ever, ever could experience. It's all to You, And it's all for your glory. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Folks, um, we're going to uh, close our time of worship with a song.